0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible, you may find your way to Proverbs chapter 28. We have sung, we have prayed, and now we come to the preaching of God's Word. There's no other authority. I'm not sure what authority you may be submitting to in your life, but the only authority that exists is God and his word. I pray that you know Christ as Savior. If you do not, I would love to talk with you. As I, as I, as I talk this morning, if questions are stirring in you, write them down. I'd love to talk with you afterwards, but we would love to be used of God in your life if he is stirring you with questions about salvation and faith and knowing Jesus. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Find your way there and just hold your spot and we'll get into the Word in just a moment. We have been on a four-week journey about forgiveness, confession, and repentance. The whole of Scripture is the account of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The whole of Scripture is the account of God displaying His glory in the redemption of fallen man in a fallen world. From the fall of man in the garden to the end of time, Scripture reveals man's continual plight against sin. Every one of us, every person in the room, every person that you know, every person that has ever been and every person that ever will be, from the creation of man and time to the end of time, has been infected and affected and plagued with sin. The struggle has always, always has and always will include our need for forgiveness. If we need forgiveness, then we need to confess sin. If we need to confess sin, then we need to walk in repentance. One of the messages that John the Baptist preached. Bear fruit... In keeping with repentance, God's people are called to repentance. We talked about these three things, forgiveness, confession, and repentance, all being linked, but not all being the same. Terms that perhaps in the world we confuse and think of as one term, but we have looked over the past four weeks and concluding today at the distinction between our need for forgiveness from God our need for forgiveness from and for man, how we go about seeking forgiveness through the confession of sin, and today, repentance, how we live out our confession of sin. I have heard several testimonies over the past couple of weeks of what God has been doing through the preaching of his word in the area of forgiveness and repentance and confession in the lives of people. We are amiss, if we don't talk about repentance specifically. Because if you thought that just the confessing of your sin, remember we talked about needing forgiveness from God because of original sin. Man is sinful because Adam sinned in the garden, violated God's command, and sin came to all men because all have sinned. We are all violators of God's command. So as we've talked about and defined our way through this, sin is any violation of God's law. We have summed up God's law because Scripture sums up God's law in these two ways. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Simply, love God and love people in light of God. Sin is any violation of God's law, so when we do not love God or we do not love people, we are in violation of God's command. We also explored, the Bible says that sin is not only doing wrong things. It is not doing correct things or right things. Those who know the good they are to do and do not do it, sin. So it's not just that we do bad things, like there are a lot of good people in the room. I I trust that most people are just good. You may not do bad things, but do you do the good thing you know you're supposed to do? When you don't, the Word of God comes to us and says, You're in violation of my word. You're violating my commands. We dealt with what sin is. We dealt with what forgiveness is. We are in need of forgiveness because of sin. Sin because we have violated God's law and sin because we have sinned against man. We are sinners. We sin against God and we sin against one another. So we need forgiveness from God. He sets us free from that original sin, but then we're plagued with sin still in this life as we sin against other people. We need forgiveness from God because of original sin. We need forgiveness from one another because we sin against one another. Forgiveness, being set free or setting someone else free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. Last week we dealt with confession. In confession, you are responsible to acknowledge your guilt. You are guilty and you must acknowledge that. You must approach or go to the one you've sinned against. It's not just a, well, I've, 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 I've handled all that in my heart. No, 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 you have to go. The Bible says whether you sin against or someone sins against you, we are to go and we are to approach those that we have sinned against or have sinned against us and we are to admit with words what we have done. Forgive me, I have sinned against you in this way. Please forgive me of this sin. <clears throat> if we stop there, We've learned a lot, but we're not putting it into action. So today, repentance. Simple definition repentance. We realize our sin, we deal with forgiveness, we handle confession. Repentance the turning of our heart, mind, and body. Whoa. It's gonna get deep. Welcome to the Village Church. The turning of our heart, mind and body away from sin and to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We turn away from sin. It's not just, I'm sorry I did this, I'll probably do it again. No, no, we, we turn away from doing it again. I'm going to put myself into a position, we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to put myself into a position to not do that again, to repent, to Turn away from your heart, your mind, your body away from sin and to God through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ is an important thing because if I just tell you or teach you to turn your heart, mind, and body away from sin, I can slip into moralism really quick. And you don't want to sit under a preacher who preaches moralism. You can find that anywhere. You want to sit under a preacher who preaches the word of God which convicts us of sin and holds us to a standard that is not our own. I'm not holding you to my convictions. I am trying to draw out from God's word what he holds us to. We turn away our heart, our mind, our body from sin through faith in Christ. That is the only way for a person to live a godly life and be saved. Everything else is just well-intentioned moralism, and that will not save your soul. Repentance. God calls his people to repentance. I have two points for you this morning, so now you think it's going to be a short sermon. We have two points to consider. One, God calls his people to repentance. Repentance is not an optional thing. It's not a, well, I'll learn about it and get there at some point in time. No, no, no. God calls his people to repentance. I've talked with various friends this past week, and I actually am thankful for the work of God in my life through his word. But I'm going to tell you right now, we have got to start preaching repentance much more than churches are preaching it. You're going to hear repentance out of my mouth more than you've ever heard it because we're not preaching it. But in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, there must be a turning away from and towards something. And we're not preaching repentance loud enough. You're like, Pastor, I hear you say repentance all the time. Well, now when I say it, you're going to have more context for it because we're going to learn through God's word what repentance is. And first of all, repentance is something that God calls his people to. Repentance also is something we are responsible for. What am I supposed to do? I, I, you know, If God's got it all worked out, what do I do? I just, just coast, right? God's already, I'm saved, I'm good. No, 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 you're responsible. You are saved and you are justified. Praise God, but you are responsible. We've talked about this a lot in the past. We are responsible and repentance is one thing that God has given us. You are responsible for this, my children. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, we were here last week dealing with kind of the first and middle part. Now the whole verse, look at it. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Pause. You can't hide your sin and get away with it. You may get away with it for a time. Anybody remember getting away with sin for a certain length of time? My hand is up because I remember, right? And you conceal it because you really don't want anyone to know that you're an absolute disaster. I didn't want people to know that in my late teen years, in my early 20 years, and yesterday, and this morning, that I'm a wretch in need of God's help, we conceal our sin. And God's word says, those who conceal, whoever, whoever, nah, not me, no, no, whoever, are you hiding sin in your life? Whoever conceals his sin, his transgression, will not prosper. In what? Well, in eternity First and foremost, you will not prosper when the role is called up yonder, we used to sing in churches, you will not prosper before the judgment throne of God by concealing your sin. It is likely that you will not prosper in life either. I remember when I could get nothing to work, I could get nothing to match, I could do nothing to fix the turmoil inside of my life. Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. I remember that inside and outside not matching. I was in my early 20s at a youth conference and there are thousands upon thousands of teenagers around. And listen, if you've never been in a stadium full of thousands of Christians, find a way to make that happen. Because this isn't all that's going to heaven right here in this room. There are countless untold numbers of us out there. So find a way somehow at some point in time to go and, and get with a bunch of Christians and sit under good preaching and sing praise and worship to God and, and get a glimpse of eternity. This is a small glimpse here. Get a grander. I can remember I was sitting at this convention as a, as a youth worker. As a youth worker. Oh, it's okay, Timmy. We'll figure it out, bud. Right? Right? I'm like one of the leaders on the thing. And all of a sudden they're doing some play or some such thing that's emotionally manipulated because that's what happens at some of those things. And, And they said something that punched me. That pierced. The word of God says pierced to the heart. And this character and this thing on the stage, this is all I remember. I'm a mess because what you see on the outside doesn't Match what's on the inside. And the whole world stopped for me. Like it was just me. And I'm like, that's me. Everything everybody sees. It doesn't match anything on the inside. God calls his people to repentance. We are responsible in Repenting. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. I recognized in that moment the lack of prospering in my life. Well, pastor, did you confess your sin and all of a sudden you started to prosper? No, I got my life right with God and it got harder. Because when we dig into our faith in this life, we are bound for trouble. We are sojourners, we are wanderers, we are strangers, we are exiles. This is not our home. But I stopped concealing sin and listen to me if you're concealing sin you know the late night hours that you stare into the void and you're not prospering you know those you know those moments be set free from them look but he who confesses and forsakes them Will obtain mercy. He who confesses, we dealt with this last week, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have to acknowledge my guilt. I have to go to God. Father, I am guilty of violating your word. I am a sinner. I am seeking forgiveness for you because I have sinned against you in this way. Remember the verses from last week. God says to Israel and to Judah and to his people of old just acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled from me, that you have not obeyed my word. We must do this. God, forgive me, I have sinned. Confess your sin, but don't stop at confessing. Forsake it. I administer vows of marriage to people. I'm working with a young couple that's getting married later this year and we were talking about the vows the other day and I was just mindful in this moment when I, when I stand before a, a group of gathered witnesses with a bride and a groom and I read these vows, one of the lines in the vows is, do you pledge that you will forsake all others and pledge yourself only unto for the rest of your life until by death you part? And then this man and this woman will stand there, and in this moment, they are so ready and so prepared, and I will. And everybody, everybody just, woo. But how quickly do we forsake? And do we forsake the wrong things? Forsake your sin. It's not just confess it. It's not just admit that you've done it. It's not just acknowledge your guilt and approach the one that you've confessed sinning against to. It is forsaking. I am done with that. We watch people forsake things all the time in this life. Unfortunately, we watch husbands and wives forsake their vows to one another. They violate their vows of marriage and that it ends in a dreadful divorce. This is the way of the world, and it's rampant in the church, and it must not be. And if we began forsaking sin, we would start seeing the end of forsaking one another. He who confesses and forsakes transgressions, it's there earlier in the verse. The subject is transgressions. Whoever conceals them will not prosper. Whoever confesses them and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Israel and Judah, those ancient examples, our Christian heritage. I would encourage you, read sometimes. Read the Kings and the Chronicles. Read Jeremiah. Read Ezekiel read all of those small prophets they're like I don't really understand what there is to learn from this what there is to learn from that is a people forsaking god and a god telling them how to be right with him it's a great lesson for us and they are they are our christian heritage israel and judah did not want to go into exile but they have sinned They have wandered. God said to them, do not turn to the right or to the left. Do not stray from the word that I'm giving you this day. Walk in it. And they did not. And because of that, the judgment of God was coming upon them. and They did not want to go into exile. But Israel is carried off by Assyria. And Judah is carried off by Babylon. In this once glorious, magnificent, drawn out of bondage across the Red Sea and through the wilderness and into the promised land. All of a sudden, they have forsaken their God. They have set up idols. And God's judgment comes upon them. And he will send them into exile. And they don't want to go to exile. And the word of God comes to them over over and over at one point through the prophet Ezekiel and he says to them, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away from all your abominations. Through Ezekiel again, repent and turn from all your transgressions lest iniquity be your ruin. Your sin will destroy you Sin is destructive. Oh, pastor, I have faith in Jesus. That your sin will destroy you in this life, even with the hope of Jesus in eternity. But if you are living an unrepentant life, have you truly, through faith in Jesus Christ, been redeemed from your sin? God said to Solomon, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and oh, how we love to misuse this in our country and our day. God said to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Israel was given stipulations. Do you understand? It wasn't just, oh, Father, we have sinned. That's great. Humble yourself before me. Seek Me, and be done with your sin. Turn away from it. What did they do? Over and over, perpetually, they went right back to their sin. Why? Because they were not forsaking their sin, and they could not conceal and prosper with transgression. Repentance is among the loudest message that is preached from Genesis through the end of Revelation, all throughout Revelation, repent, repent, repent. They wouldn't repent. They refused to repent. Do you understand? The day is coming. We, we love when calamities and disaster come upon the world because we think that through calamity, certainly, people will repent and turn to God. No, Revelation shows us that at the end of time, when the chiefest and greatest of calamities comes on man, they will harden their heart to God and not repent. Calamity is doing nothing to draw us closer to God. Calamity is only revealing the further hardening of our heart. It's the loudest message through all of scripture. Maybe you've never considered John the Baptist's first words when he comes into the world as the forerunner to Jesus Christ. As a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight a path for the Lord. And what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our Lord Jesus, among his first ministry words, his first message ever preached, you can read it in Mark chapter one, verse 15, Christ begins preaching, repent and believe the gospel. You have the two single-handedly greatest preachers ever to walk the face of planet earth. And their first message is both of them repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. If not that, all of a sudden Christ is dead, buried, alive, witnessed by hundreds of people, ascended into heaven. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came on Peter, one of the disciples, who was a sinful wretch, who 50 some odd days before, had said, I don't even know the man. All of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on this man who grieved his sin, who confessed his sin, who is reinstated to a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preaches his gospel. At the end of the preaching of this magnificent message through chapter 2, all of a sudden, the people listening are like, What must we do? Because the gospel brings an urgency. There is a call to action. It does not leave us alone in the pew. What do we do? And Peter says, Repent. Repent, all of you, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist comes into the world and his first message is repent, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus Christ comes into the world and his first message is repent and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ leaves the world and the first message that is preached is repent and be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And then you have this lunatic, murderous Jew named Saul who meets Jesus. And he finds himself in a world of people that he, in his Judaism, cannot tolerate. And he finds himself in Athens. And he's preaching. And he says to the Athenian people, pagan, lost. He says to them, God calls all people everywhere to repent. Do you understand? If your Christian life excludes repentance, you are not living a Christian life. You are living but a vague shadow of the life that we are called to through faith in Christ according to his word. Repentance is at the heart of the gospel. The great work accomplished by Jesus Christ, forgiveness from God through faith in him, repentance is at the heart of that Acts chapter 20, verses 19 and 21. Why don't you turn there with me? Why don't you look at this? I want, I want you to see this. Because it's not just Paul that's called to this. This is all of us. Paul's just the one who said it. The Holy Spirit had him write it down, and we get to read it now and say, oh, this needs to be us. Look what it says. Acts chapter 20. Let's... um. Let's use verse 18. So the, the context here is that Paul is going to be going off to Jerusalem and eventually to Rome. Like his life is ending and it's not going to be going well for him. But he wants to meet with the Ephesian church elders. It's always been interesting to me. He calls them to him. He wants to talk with them. So they come. That's where we are. That's the setting of the scene here in Acts chapter 20. Let's start in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility. Humility with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us the aim, the very aim of his ministry, his life with Christ. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, declaring anything profitable, teaching everywhere, testifying to all, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That is the summary of the Christian life. If you're not living those two things, you are living a shadow of what the Christian life is supposed to be. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. This is at the base level, for every Christian alive. Are you living that way? Are you living a life of repentance toward God? Are you living a life of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? God calls his people to repentance. Repentance is something that we're responsible for. The second point, repentance, living out our confession of sin is an action and it involves well several things but we'll look at four. Repentance. Living out our confession of sin is an action that involves remorse for sin, removal of sin, receiving forgiveness and renewing heart and mind. Repentance. Repentance is an action that involves remorse for sin. We talked last week about acknowledging our guilt for sin. You have to come to grips with the fact that you are guilty. But it's not just enough to be like, yeah, I did that. I've sat in too many men's groups, and I've been to too many men's conferences, and I've worked with teenagers too often, and and to be honest with you, all of humanity is the same way. We tend to make our sin kind of really... Not a big deal. You know why? Because that's how the enemy would have us believe. Surely God did not say you would die. That's directly what the enemy said to Eve in the garden. God didn't say you you won't die. You won't die. Sin's not a big deal. Listen, if you want to go to a sin's not a big deal church, this is not the one for you. Sin's a big deal. It's a problem. It makes me want to vomit on your feet. My sin makes me want to throw up on your feet. I don't want to throw up on my own feet. Your sin should make you sick. There must be remorse for sin. We talked about this last week, but I need you to understand the difference in guilt and remorse. Guilt is the recognition of what you have done. Remorse is what is attached to, I cannot believe that I've done this. The story of Martin Luther, you can learn about this if you'd like to, but he's an Augustinian monk, right, in the Catholic faith because because God was stirring something really good in the heart of man to say, wait a minute, Roman Catholicism is not right. We're not justified by all of these things and all of that stuff, and what is this? So he's a monk, and the Spirit of God is calling him, and you can read about this. He begins confessing his sin, and it was heard in the, in the monastery, the place where they lived. He could be found in his room, forgive me, God, forgive me, forgive me, I've sinned, and he would come, and I need to repent. We know, Martin, you need to confess your sin again. He would spend hours Confessing sin, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I have sinned, forgive me, forgive me, over and over. And he would leave one day and come right back the next day. And they're like, Martin, what's wrong with you? And finally, a Christian gets a hold of him and says, Martin, you're forgiven. It's time to be done with the remorse now. He could not get over what his sin had caused between him and a holy God, the separation that had happened. This happens with us. We feel this with us, husbands and wives, children and parents. You sin against one another and all of a sudden there's this this friction and nobody knows why. It's because something is in the way and it leads to remorse. We must be sorry for our sin, not just acknowledge that we're guilty. I, I did do that. I did that. How many times I did that? Wipe the smirk off your face. You violated God's command. Why are you happy? We read James words last week. Weep, be wretched, wail and mourn. Remorse, genuine sorrow for violating God's command. The wrong committed against God and man. You know what this looks like? Just to give you an illustration of what remorse looks like. You know what this looks like? In Jonah chapter 3 verse 6, when the king heard the word that Jonah was preaching, The king called for every person in the city of Nineveh, which I think the book of Jonah reveals was like 120,000 people, called for every person from the greatest to the small to sit in the dust of the earth with sackcloth and to weep and to repent in the dust of the earth. We don't understand sackcloth. Perhaps we should. Perhaps we should come in here some Sunday and see people sitting in dust and sackcloth. That irritating, I am lamenting my sin, and this irritation is a reminder that my sin is a problem. Remorse of sin is envisioned in the Ninevites sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Remorse of sin is envisioned. It's Holy Week now, Palm Sunday. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here's Peter among that group, waving palm branches, and this is the king. Can you imagine what those guys must have been thinking and feeling about this triumphant entry of this, the king. And just a few short days later, I don't know him. Surely you, you speak like him. I've never heard of him. I've seen you with him. I don't know the man. <laughs> and do you know what's envisioned? Your remorse of sin is found in Peter, weeping, the scripture says, bitterly. At one point, the gospel literally says, he said, I do not know him. And the Bible says this, myster- I can't remember which book it's found. It's one of the gospels. This mysterious line, at that moment, Jesus looked at him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? In Peter's remorse, it says he ran out of the city weeping bitterly because he was gripped with his sin. It's wrapped up in those that, the same apostle, Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Oh, Lord, I love you. Three times, the third time, Peter's sad. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, I love you. That same Peter would preach in Acts chapter 2. Remorse of sin is seen in Acts chapter 2 where it says what Peter said, struck them in the heart, pierced them at the heart. What must we do? There's a recognition that when we are repenting, there is remorse for sin. We must be sorry. Not just know you're guilty. Be sorry for it. Repentance is an action that involves remorse for sin. It also involves the removal of sin. Two thoughts for us to think on as you find your way to Romans chapter 6. Two thoughts for us to think on the removal of sin. The removal of sin from us and the removal of us from sin. The removal of sin involves us being removed from sin and sin being removed from us. It involves action on our part, no matter which way we're talking about it. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 calls us to make no provision for the flesh. So if you have some sin struggle, um, let's play with the most popular one. Why not? If you're an alcoholic... And you're convicted of that being a sin, which you should be. Drunkenness is a sin. If you are an alcoholic and you're convicted that drunkenness is a sin, you need to remove the alcohol from you. Go home and get rid of it. And you need to remove yourself from the alcohol. Don't go where it's at. Don't touch it. If you're where it's at, just be, be rid of it. What other thing? Removal of sin from us. Men, which are not the only ones that are prone to this, women are, and actually at more increasing rates all the time, looking at things we shouldn't look at. Remove the thing you're looking at. Is it your phone? Is it your computer? Is it on your wrist? Get rid of it. I can't. Yes, you can, and you must. Get rid of it. Remove sin from you and remove yourself from sin. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, Do not use your freedom, which we find through faith in Christ, which goes back to original sin. Man is bound in original sin. And through faith in Christ, the confession of sin, repentance of sin, man is freed from that bondage before God. And then comes the challenge of ongoing sin, because we're still in this body of death. Galatians says, do not use your freedom for the flesh. Man, do I remember the days. Boy, do I remember justifying my sin and thinking, I'm saved. It's okay. No, it's not. It's detestable. You're a hypocrite and you're probably not saved. Okay, ouch. Ouch. I was living nothing that would have demonstrated a saved life in Jesus Christ. I was demonstrating a life that was doing whatever it wanted to do. And I am constrained in my living through faith in Jesus Christ. We must remove sin from us and remove ourselves from sin. Look what it says. Romans chapter 6 is a great chapter. I would encourage you to read the whole thing. We're going to look at one little point in this passage that sums it all up. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore. Therefore what? Well, okay, I guess we got to back up. Look at verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, amen, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, for death For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You remove sin from your life and you remove yourself from sin. Single people, are you in a toxic live-in relationship? Young people that live in your parents' home, are you trying to toxically get away with whatever you can get away with as long as you're not with your family? Husbands, are you being honest with your wife about where you go and what you do? Wives, are you being honest about where you go and what you do to your husbands? Are you offering yourselves to sin? What's on your television? Holy smokes, conviction in my own house. What's on your TV? Oh, here we go. This is where the pastor gets lunatic again and tells us to get rid of social media, cancel Netflix, cancel Disney. I'm not telling you to do anything, but I'm asking you, what's on your TV? What are you injecting into the life of your mind and your family? Well, it's innocent, is it? Nothing is innocent. The world's ruined by sin. Man, isn't it easy? Just, I'm going to just check out for a while. That in and of itself is sin. What do you mean check out? You're not living an abundant life if you're checking out from something. What are you doing? Don't offer. You're like, well, pastor, I'm just checking out. You're being idle. And the Bible says don't be idle. God's people are not idle. Oh, boy. Remove sin from your life and remove yourself from sin. Guys, that are going to show up tomorrow at work and talk as though you weren't in church today, don't show up to that conversation tomorrow. Don't show up and laugh about the stuff you laugh about and say the stuff you say after sitting here this morning and hearing what God calls you to. You're a hypocrite to do that. Receiving forgiveness. Repentance is an action that involves remorse for sin. We must be sorry. Removal of sin, us from sin and sin from us, and receiving forgiveness. Listen, listen to the Word of God. Agony and remorse and lamentation for sin lasts for a night. We do not live in the remorse and agony of our sin. Psalms tells us, Psalm 103, the 103rd Psalm, chapter 12. God has removed our sin from us as far as east is from west. Scriptures tell us that weeping remains for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Your remorse and your grief and your acknowledging of guilt ends at the reception of forgiveness from God on high. Turn, if you would, Romans chapter 8, just one page. One of these days I will preach through the entire book of Romans, but it won't be today. Lord willing, I'll preach through the entire book of Romans. Romans 8. There is therefore... uh Uh-oh. Why? Why therefore? Look at verse 25, chapter 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I... Myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Like, oh, what do I do? We repent. We confess our sin. We live a life directed by the Spirit of God. And Paul writes, verse, verse 1, chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do you know what's wrapped up in chapter 8, verse 1? Two things original sin and ongoing sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Original sin is atoned for. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our imperfect lives that continue to sin against man and God find an advocate in Jesus Christ. My brothers, my children, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. Don't do it. Don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. Don't sin. If you do, we have, remember last week, remember Leviticus, if anyone sins unintentionally, if anyone sins unintentionally over and over and over, we're not supposed to sin. Through faith in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This means When you come to the recognition of your sin, when you acknowledge your guilt of sin, when you approach the one you've sinned against, when you admit with words how you have sinned against them, when you have remorse for your sin, when you remove sin from you, you receive forgiveness and we're done with the remorse and the grief of our sin. Anybody ever walk in the regret of what you've done that wasn't godly? I'll put my hand up for, yeah, right, exactly, every one of us. Man, I remember walking around in this life with this, like, I've talked about Christian Pilgrim from Pilgrim's Progress before, and he's got this pack on his back, and he gets set free, and it's like, it's like I, well, now I have to have a new identity in Jesus. I don't know who I am. I'm going to put this back on. It's more comfortable. I know who I am when I wear this. no, we're, no. Be done with that. Don't grieve anymore. Don't walk around, I'm such a, don't, don't pull Martin Luther. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I've sinned, I've sinned, forgive me, I've sinned. Yes, confess your sin, absolutely. Receive forgiveness. Christ died to bring peace to your troubled soul. Receive forgiveness. Repentance is an action that involves remorse for sin, removal of sin, receiving forgiveness. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I was talking to a young man before church, one of the young hearts in the room, who was so excited to show me a brand new Bible. And he pointed out at the start of the, the books, it talks about who wrote it and all this stuff, And he just so happened to open up to the book of Colossians. And and I, hey, hold your spot. We're going to be there in a little while. I hope that you're getting God's word into the hands of young people. Like, take Bibles off that table and give them to people. Get the Bible into people's hands. Repentance, living out our confession of sin, is an action that involves remorse for sin, removal of sin, receiving forgiveness, and renewing our heart and mind. Do you want to know how to remove sin from your life? Renew your mind. Don't think about what you used to think about. And when you think about it, pray that God would help you to not think about it. When you're tempted to go there, call out to a brother or sister and say, I'm, 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 I'm fighting this temptation. Remember last week? Confess your struggle and your temptation. Admit it. Get help. Find help. Find accountability. Find accountability. Renewing your heart and mind, fill your life with the good things of God. Colossians 3. Read these few verses with me. Uh, Verses 1 through 4. Look what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, renewing your heart and mind. It says at the very beginning of the verse, if then you have been raised with Christ. And so this is where we start edging into application of walking out repentance. Have you been raised with Christ? You here hearing my words, hearing God's word, singing songs and sharing smiles and being in church today. Have you been raised with Christ? I'm not sure how do I how would I know if I've been raised with Christ? You've renounced hidden and shameful ways. You've stopped concealing sin. You're living a life of repentance toward God and of faith in Jesus Christ. You are striving according to God's word to be what God calls you to. You have said, God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me, Father, for sinning against you. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for me. I believe that you have justified my life on the basis of nothing but faith in the work of Jesus Christ, If that's you, you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Are you living a life of repentance toward God and faith in Christ? If the answer is no, then where you sit right now, turn your heart in repentance toward God. Father, I have sinned against you. For all who call on him, I can't do that. Yes, you can. And all who call on him will be saved and none who call on him will be put to shame. Have you been raised with Christ? Yes? Okay. I had to literally write this out. I was sharing it with some guys in a text message this past week. I'm like, wow, thanks, Lord, for helping me with the sermon. Yeah, I I, I have been raised. Good, then. Look what it says. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Are you raised with Christ? Yes, I am. Excellent. Then seek the things that are above Make sure that your mind is focused on godly things, not on the world around you, not on the imperfection of your spouse or the imperfection of your children or the imperfection of yourself. Not on the trouble of going to work, not on how you're going to pay the next bill, not on what's going to happen with Ukraine or what's going to happen with all this stuff that, ooh, they're, they're, going, to make, they're going to make an abomination to man. A legal orientation for someone's sexual preference. Somebody this week was really concerned that that's going to happen, and they were moved to think that God's not in control. God's in control, and stop setting your mind on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind. Don't worry about. I don't know what we're going to do about this president. I don't like this guy. I do like this guy. I don't want anything to go. I don't want him to go anywhere. I don't know what we're going to do about that election. I don't know what we're going to do about it. You're a wreck. Stop it. Stop. Have you been raised with Christ? Set your mind on the things of Christ. Look what it says, where he is seated. Do you understand the call here? The appeal here of this is not my home. I am not remaining in this cesspool of sin. And God the righteous judge will end it all. Yeah, I think I I am seeking the things of God. Then I want to encourage you instead of causing you to feel like you're not doing that carry on i think I, I think i am thinking on godly things persevere in that cling tightly endure in thinking about things above where christ is seated i'm no i'm not thinking on i'm not thinking on things that are above set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I set my mind? Look at what it says. For you have died. Raised with Christ, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is not the end. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our life is preserved Eternally, through faith in Jesus Christ, it's hidden, awaiting the day of redemption where God will return and call us home. We are hidden, and look what it says, when Christ, who is your life, I love that song we sing, I was thinking about it earlier earlier, Christ our hope in life and death. Whether we live or we die, Christ is our hope. When Christ, your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory live according to having been raised with Christ, seeking the things of Christ, with your mind on Christ. This is how. This is how a redeemed people lives out, having confessed sin, having received forgiveness, living a life of repentance toward God and of faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout time, Man has struggled and will until God returns with sin. Has always needed confession, forgiveness, repentance. Throughout all of that time, God has continually... Pastor, I just don't think that God would listen if I called out confessing my sin, repenting of sin. That's all God's ever done with mankind. From the beginning to the end in all of Scripture... Revealing God's glory in the redemption of fallen man, his continual words to his people have been, return to me. Repent. Return to me. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're not sure if you should take the Lord's Supper, then I would, I would advise you to not. And it may, it may be that you've been places where just everybody comes and does this, but listen, the Lord's table is a very serious thing. And if you're here this morning and you think, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I should approach the table of the Lord, then, then perhaps you shouldn't. But understand this. The only thing that keeps you from approaching the table of the Lord is not dealing with forgiveness from God who is slow to anger and forgiving the iniquity of thousands. And so there is no reason or purpose that you can't in the privacy of your heart, in your seat, where you are, become right with God. Oh pastor, I can't come to that table. Reading this past week, there was a Scottish pastor who had this woman just, she was weeping, I can't take of the Lord's supper. I'm a sinner. And he said to her, It's for sinners. We don't approach this because we're perfect. We approach this because Christ was perfect. And he obtained for us through his body and his blood a salvation through faith in his work. Communion is open at the village church for people who are not members of the church. This is not a members only thing. It is only open to those who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not made a profession of faith in your life, please please stay away from it and ask questions and learn and understand what this is for. Through faith in the Lord Jesus, his body broken on the cross, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin, we remember that sacrifice through the observance of communion. Parents, you are in the front seat of whether or not your children can partake of communion or not. This is not a decision that I make for you. Only you know if your children have understood the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, have sought forgiveness of sin, confessed sin, or are living a life of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, only you know if this table is for your children. I'm going to pray, and the table will be open after we've all received the elements of communion. We'll partake together. I would ask that a member of your family come and receive what is necessary for you to receive communion, and then after we'll sing a song of praise We'll give thanks to God and go from here on with the rest of our day, okay? Heavenly Father, we come before you today thankful, God, for for you. Thankful for your love for us. Love that sent your only Son. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you, you are not just sent you chose. Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing to be the atonement for sin. Heavenly Father, thank you for being pleased to crush him for sin. Holy Spirit, thank you for your power working in him in the resurrection. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the great work that you have done in redeeming fallen man. Father, we approach this moment of worship soberly, recognizing, Father, that we must be right with you or we will be drinking condemnation unto ourselves. Father, I pray for every heart in the room, those who are doing business with you in their heart, being made right in this moment. Father, those who are being drawn by the power of your spirit to faith in Christ, I pray that this moment will honor you as a moment of worship in the life of our church and in our lives. Father, we thank you for the broken body of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the cup, the blood poured out for my sin. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Father, be with us as we worship you in this, your supper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's Word.